that hymn is, is not only a, a wonderful proclamation, but it, it occurred to me just now, this is an original thought for me, um, as we were singing, that it would be a wonderful prayer, don't you think, that as we open our Bibles, and you're doing that now, turning to the Old Testament prophecy of Jonah, let's pray that we would see the glory of Christ alone our cornerstone. And let's pray that the weak among us be strengthened by an awareness of our Savior's love for us. Jonah is all to do with the love of God for his own. And as you and I both know, there are times and there are seasons even when God's own are kind of messed up. Jonah went AWOL, didn't he? And we know what AWOL means, absent without leave. Soldiers who are AWOL leave their assigned duties without permission, but they don't intend to desert. They're just gone for a while. Jonah went AWOL. He most certainly was not devoted to his assigned duty of proclaiming the mercy of God to Israel's enemies over there in Iraq, the people of Nineveh. His marching orders were quite clear, as we've seen. God said to him, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. But Jonah marched as fast as he could and as as far as he could in the opposite direction. The scripture says Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And last week we saw, do you remember last week? Last week we saw that Jonah wasn't just undevoted to his duty as a, as a missionary to people over there someplace, but Jonah wasn't even devoted to his duty to be a light to the Gentiles who were in the same boat he was in people he should have been reaching out to. And so the scriptures told us the mariners were afraid. God sent a storm. The mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. How many of you know that's an opening for the gospel? But Jonah had lain down and was fast asleep. And and, and we know the narrative well by now, don't we? The ship, the sea, the wind, the waves, all of it, all prepared by God to deal with a disciple gone AWOL. But here's the thing. Jonah was no Judas. Jonah was not an apostate, a deserter in some final sense. And because of this, we know that the great fish God had prepared for Jonah was not a means of punishment but a means of preservation. Severe, yes, but nonetheless a means of preservation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, but you're not living like one. In fact, other than being in a building with a cross on it, uh, most other times, nobody would even really know that you're a Christian. Such has been the case with Jonah so far, wouldn't you agree? 
I mean, those pagan sailors, they had to ask him, Who's, what God do you serve? And the implication is obvious. It, it wasn't clear at all from his behavior, let alone his testimony, his words, that he was God's man. D does that describe you? Let me just encourage you, if that is the case with you today, if fish could speak, if fish could speak, Jonah's fish surely would tell us that no matter how wayward you've gone, no matter how deeply you've sunk into uh, sin, uh, become mired in the consequences of your own sin, um, you'll not be rejected by God, not if you're one of his own. God does not punish his runaway people. He preserves them. He preserves them. So we return to Jonah this morning in the fish, and we find that this AWOL disciple is still God's prophet, and Yahweh is still Jonah's God. And this great fish is not only an instrument of preservation. It's not punishment. It's preservation, but also preparation for further usefulness. Let's just look at the text together. Verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I don't want to be tedious in doing this because we have been um, in the first chapter of Jonah for a bit, and so we're familiar with Jonah's uh, circumstances and what led up to his circumstances, but let me just remind you that Jonah uh, put great energy into fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Uh, it, it wasn't a, um, a small slip. It started that way, but he, he, he was all in at some point in his rebellion. And Jonah went AWOL from God's clear instruction to him. 
We've noticed that each time we read chapter 1, there was no ambiguity about what God had said to him. It's not like he missed the memo or something. He, just, he was just AWOL. And I have no doubt whatsoever that in a group of people this size, there are some here today who are presently AWOL from God's clear instruction for their lives. Surely among us, there is a husband or two who is not loving his wife as Christ loves his church. He, he gave himself for her. He's to be all wrapped up in this mission of washing her with the water of the word, leading spiritually in the home. Are we AWOL from that, guys? Surely among us there is a wife or two who will not accept her husband's care and leadership as an extension of Christ's own care and leadership in the home. Surely among us today there are saints who are gifted of the Spirit to serve the body of Christ in unique and necessary ways but instead are using Christ's church to serve themselves. How many, I wonder, are AWOL in some sense among us today? There's always the danger of these things being practical. And there's often the danger of them being personal. Do you realize that many Christians live today in such a way that their life would be mostly unchanged if the Spirit of God were completely withdrawn from them? What do I mean by that? Live in our own strength, live by our own direction, even in our religion, it's to do with our comfort and our security, our our sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. And I know these symptoms well, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Jonah. And maybe there are other Jonas here as well. I know the symptoms well because I fought the disease myself. We've gone AWOL, many of us, from our great commission to preach Christ with our words and with our lives in Hayden and Coeur d'Alene, even in Rathdrum, way up there in Spirit Lake, of all places. Is that even in America, we wonder? (laughs) Of course it is. Of course it is. And if you want evidence, because you might just be thinking, well, you know, maybe he didn't get enough sleep, maybe he's a bit crabby. You want evidence, just think of it this way. How many of our county's churches today preach a man-centered gospel? How many churches in our county today preach a gospel of political activism and cultural reform? If we just redecorate the Titanic, it's not going to sink. And if you want to be even more specific about it, think of it this way. How many among us, do you suppose, have recently spoken of Jesus among people who don't know Jesus and desperately need him. So I think we all have more in common with Jonah 
than we might have first thought. Well, Jonah goes AWOL, and we don't have to really exert ourselves at all to try to imagine what that might be like. He's absent without leave because the duty that he's been called to will take him far away from a life he's grown comfortable with. Jonah's life in Israel is a very churchy life. But nonetheless, it indulges him and it rewards him in a way he's grown accustomed. In Israel, Jonah is admired. In Israel, Jonah's opinion matters. In Israel, Jonah's got influence. Jonah's a big fish in a very small pond, and to go to Nineveh threatens all of that. Do you want to be encouraged this morning? Nobody? Okay. It can go either way. Just let me know. It can't go either way. We have to be encouraged by what we read of Jonah. What does God do with an ambassador gone AWOL? Does God reject him? Does God destroy him? Does God punish him in some final sense? No. Yes, God does take Jonah out of his little pond and he throws him into the vast sea. And yes, Jonah does send a truly big fish to show Jonah he's not such a big fish. And God wants us to see something very wonderful and powerful and helpful about his mercy this morning. How do we know that Jonah simply went AWOL and was not an apostate, was not a fake professor of faith in God? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. This is as far as I got into chapter 2. Because I got stuck on the word his. And I underlined it. And I circled it in my Bible. I would, exec- I would advise you to do likewise. It's, it's worth remembering. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. By the way, this is where the message starts, by the way. So I can't get that phrase out of my mind. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Jonah remains God's prophet. God remains Jonah's God, though he has taken flight far from God's will. Are you a believer who has taken flight far from God's will? Listen, flight from God does not remove a true disciple's faith in God. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Listen, if if you're backsliding today, if you look at your life through the scriptures illumined by the Holy Spirit and you see that you are far from God's will in some area of your life, the the question that is really of primary importance to you is not so much, will you reform yourself? You know, will you uh, promise to never fail God again? How's that worked out in the past? Not so good. Uh, The the thing that's of primary importance is whether you have faith in the Lord your God in the first place. Is he your God? Are you his disciple? R.C. Sproul 
theologian who passed away a couple of years ago put it this way. He said, a, a Christian can fall radically and seriously, but not fully and finally. And if you're a, a, a backslidden believer, which the scripture does not commend, please don't misunderstand this. But do not let your despair include the notion from the enemy that you don't belong to the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And so if you're sinking in the, in the consequences of your disobedience to God's will, maybe you're overwhelmed, you're, you're despairing, uh, you have a sense that it's all of your doing, uh, and, and you wonder whether God has forsaken you. you. You wonder whether you've lost your salvation. Maybe you've been swallowed up in discouragement and despair the way Jonah's been swallowed up by this fish. I, I, I encourage you to hear this. Your salvation is not dependent upon your perseverance in obedience. Your salvation is dependent upon Christ. Ought we persevere in obedience? Of course. But here's the thing. What, what the church historically has called the, the, the perseverance of the saints eternal security, uh, once saved, always saved. These are wonderful truths of the true gospel. But I really think that ought to be understood as the preservation of the saints because ultimately it is all a work of God, not God's people. And so Jonah says uh, toward the end of chapter 2, salvation is of the Lord. What perseveres in the wayward believer is faith in God, not necessarily performance for God. We could put it this way. Perseverance is not dependent upon the believer's efforts. Perseverance is dependent upon the power of God. That's what we meant last week when we sang, what was it? He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. See, God makes sure of it. And Jonah is exhibit A. And there are all sorts of exhibit Bs in the pages of our Bibles, aren't there? Peter comes to mind, doesn't he? We remember Peter as the disciple who denied Jesus three times. Denied Jesus three times. And we could say that Peter, for a season, went AWOL. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be fair? And yet, even in his denying Christ publicly, the witness of Peter's own conscience was that he belonged to the Lord. And Jesus had, had reassured Peter before his infamous betrayal that his faith would not fail. Listen to the words of Jesus to Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter, you are going to blow it big time. You're going to go AWOL in such a way that it will be remembered throughout the history of the church. But you're no deserter. 
You're, you're no apostate. You're not, you're not Judas. You're mine. And I'll keep you as mine, Jesus says. And I'll make sure your faith in me perseveres. Jesus still today makes intercession for his own, doesn't he? Listen, parents, how many of you have we prayed for wayward children? A lot of us, right? And I want to just encourage you that as you pray for your kids day and night, remember your Savior prays for them too. And if Jesus can't get his prayers answered, there's no hope for any of us. But the thing of it is, is he can. And he does. Because he holds tightly to his own, even when they're wayward. Jonah, hallelujah, is right. Jonah makes the case. Christ intercedes for his own today, and his prayers are offered with perfect faith. That our faith, however weak it may be at times, will not fail. Peter later wrote, as you know, these incredibly encouraging words. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. Hallelujah. What a wonder it is to be one who belongs to God and will always belong to him because we are kept by his power for salvation. And some of you, you don't think I know what you're thinking, but I can see it on your faces right now. Um, why are we taking such a long rabbit trail into a doctrine such as eternal security or, or, or the, the perseverance of the saints? Why, why is that? Well, well, there are those who believe there's really no such thing as a backslider. There's really no such thing as a prodigal. Prodigal living is simply evidence that a person doesn't really belong to the Lord in the first place. And the trouble I have with that is I've been Jonah. But my own experience wouldn't be reason enough to disagree with that mindset. It's just that I see here in Scripture, in Jonah and Peter, evidence that there can be seasons, shameful as it is, when a, when, a, when a Christian goes AWOL and needs to be brought back to the Lord. There is such a thing as an apostate. Judas makes the point, right? Judas proved that he, he never loved Jesus in the first place. And there is such a thing as a believer who has strayed to such a degree that in God's infinite wisdom, he just takes them out. And I'm not saying that flippantly, but next week, listen, next week, it's a communion Sunday. Last Sunday, last supper. Get it? <laughs> Same every month. It's just a, a tradition we have, so we'll remember that. And, and often we, we're, we're reminded it during the week to prepare our hearts for taking the bread and the cup together. What, what do we mean by that? 
Well, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, look, you guys need to examine yourselves before you take the bread in the cup. Because if you take the bread in the cup in an unworthy manner, in other words, you're not considering your own heart. Uh, if you're wayward, you're not repenting and, and, and turning to the Lord. Uh, the scripture says that you eat and drink judgment to yourself. This is in, the, this is in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 11, look it up. I mean, later, not now. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. He's not talking about people dozing off during the sermon. He's talking about people dying. Because God loves his own and keeps them, even if he needs to take them out. But Jonah is no apostate, and he's not a castaway, as in 1 Corinthians 11. Jonah is a prodigal prophet, and he's done a horrible job of persevering in his obedience so far, don't you think? He doesn't look like a believer in most of the book that bears his name. But he's God's man, and God will do what must be done to set him right. Here's the point. Wayward disciples are disciplined by God in mercy, not discarded by God in wrath. This fish with the very big mouth is an instrument of God's mercy, not God's punishment. So if the Lord has sent a storm into the lives of some of his disciples present here, we want, we want to be careful not to misunderstand the storm. Right? We, we don't want to misread the storm or even the, the sense of being swallowed up in a great fish, closed in uh, so that we can't go uh, where we want to go or do what we want to do of our own volition, that, that somehow that is, that is being rejected by God. No, God closes his wayward people in and isolates them out of mercy so that we have a place where we can just do business with God. I wonder this morning if there are some here who right now are at that point where you need to do business with God. You need to cry out to the Lord, your God. And church, we don't want to misread the very trying times we find ourselves in these days. God has ways and means of closing his people in so that his people can do business with him. God preserves his own with discipline. He does not punish his own with destruction. Listen to one of Job's friends. I mean, most of what Job's friends had to say was not worth repeating, right? But listen to this. This is the word of God. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Chastening is the privilege of the child of God. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? See, behind the storm and behind the fish, harsh as it seems, is the smiling face 
of a loving father. Jonah is God's prophet. Listen, if you're a child of God, and God sends some giant fish to swallow you up, what do I mean by that? Maybe you get swallowed up in financial despair. Maybe you get swallowed up in a busted relationship. Maybe you get swallowed up in a failed business you get, you get swallowed up in a set of family circumstances you never would have thought of, let alone wanted. Maybe you get swallowed up in depression or discontentment, physical suffering even. Don't let your first thought be that God is somehow punishing you in anger because you failed him. Don't go there. God is preserving you in mercy though you have failed him. And God will send however large a fish is necessary to bring you back to him, bring you back in line with his purposes for your life. And I think we learn from Jonah that he'll leave us in the belly of that fish for however long is necessary for us to be awakened to his rule over our lives. Jonah finally got to the place where he could say from his heart, my life is not about me. It's about God. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, why did God leave Jonah in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights? Well, we've seen before that Jonah is a sign of Christ, a, a type of Christ. Jesus was in the tomb three days and three nights, wasn't he? Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath for us. So so that sinners like us, trusting in the work of Christ, need not ever experience punishment from God for our sin. Discipline? Yes. In love. Punishment? Wrath? No. Not ever. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect, holy life that Jonah hadn't lived, that you haven't lived, I haven't lived. And then he shed his blood at Calvary to absorb the judgment, the justice from God that all of our sin deserves. And they put his body in that tomb. His body was swallowed up in that tomb outside of Jerusalem. And just as Jonah was raised for the sake of a Gentile city, Jesus is raised, amen, for the sake of his own to the ends of the earth. People in Jesus' day kept asking him for a sign that he was who he says he is, that that, that God's love really runs as deep as he said. And, and, And listen, the only sign necessary of God's great love for you, sinner that you are, is Christ, the sign of a resurrected Savior. And Christ alone secures the forgiveness, the acceptance, and security of his own. And so I ask you, are you one of his own? Is he 
your God? Have you repented of your sin and run to Christ as your shelter from the wrath of God for your sin? Do you have faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? However weak your faith might be at times, whatever prodigal state you've been in, just listen to your conscience. And if you'll own Christ, be sure of this, he'll own you. And he'll not let go of you. And you can rejoice and I can rejoice in the midst of his discipline. No matter how big the fish. Knowing that it is an evidence of his great mercy for his own. And you might be in the belly of some fish in his preserving discipline for a great while. I won't give you the details because you've heard it so many times before, but for me it was years. Years. I don't recommend that to anybody. But I will tell you this. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Some of you here today need to cry out to him. It's it's time for you to get back into his will. It's time for you to cry to the Lord your God. So anyway, there's a prophetic reason that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He points us to Christ. But you know, there's another reason. And we'll end with this, although not immediately. (laughs) But, But Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights for this reason. As God is preserving his people with his discipline, he's preparing his people for future usefulness. The wonder of our gracious God is that he doesn't even waste what we've done wrong. What did he say to Peter? Not if you return, when you return, do what? Yeah, strengthen, encourage your... I'm going to use that, Peter. In God's infinite wisdom, the three days and the three nights in the belly of that fish not only prefigured Christ, but prepared Jonah for future ministry. You see, Jonah can't go preach to people like the Ninevites of their need to repent and get over themselves and surrender to God's will until he has repented, until he has gotten over himself, until he has surrendered to God's will. This is all preparatory for what must come. How long did it take? Well, apparently three days and three nights. How long will it take for you, do you suppose? I wonder how long it will take for the church in America to be in the belly of this whale we find ourselves in before we repent and get over ourselves and step back into the will of God for his people living in darkness with the only light there is. And the belly of the fish is not a happy place, is it? It can't be. It's not a happy place to be losing cultural influence. 
It's not a happy place to be seen as irrelevant. It's not a happy place to be seen as ignorant or even viewed increasingly by our society as a problem that needs to be dealt with. Do you realize the watching world sees the church that way? We've got to do something about these people. That's not a happy place. It's not a happy thing to see all of the false gods that we've admired and clung to and argued about so much amongst ourselves, our rights to do this and that and the other thing, pride from our hands. But here's the thing, guys. It's a good place to learn, isn't it? The belly of the fish is always a good place to learn. Are we learning? It's not just that Jonah is being preserved, not punished. It's that Jonah is being prepared. So, so, so let's just think about his preparation. What is he learning? And, and, and are these things that he's learning some of the things that God would have us be learning? Well, first of all, go, Jonah is learning that God's commands are, are not to be taken lightly. How many of them? Which ones? All of them. However many there are. God told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I won't go. And the Lord lovingly says, well, I've got a, I've got a wind. I've got a storm. I've got a fish with your name on it. Because I love you. And I'll not let you go any farther. You see, God is determined to have his will carried out in his world. Do you realize that? Those of us who are running around saying that everything's out of control and nobody's in charge, do you realize that is the most anti-Christian, unbiblical thing you could say? Everything is completely within God's control. And he intends to have his will worked out in his world. And it will be worked out in his world. But here's the thing. God intends to have his will worked out in his church as well. God intends to have his will worked out in your life and in my life as well. And our God tells us to go with his gospel to the neighborhoods and to uh, the family reunions this summer and to the classrooms and the ball fields and the social clubs and all of that stuff with the light of Jesus Christ. We're not meant to keep our great theological discussions confined to the church walls. Studying God like a laboratory specimen because outside the walls of the church, the world is perishing. How long will we be in the belly of the fish? I wonder how long we're going to whine about being persecuted when we ought to repent and get over ourselves and surrender to God's will for his people. And we should rejoice, not despair, at the discipline of our Lord, because he loves us. He loves us as sons and daughters. I mentioned this in the first service, so I guess I'll do it in this one. They tend to be similar. Um... But, but you, you see in the news these days, there's, there's this, this business of everybody being woke. Have you heard of this? Yeah. And, and related to that sort of is this business of critical race theory. Have you heard of this stuff being taught in, our, in some of our schools? 
And, and it, it, the thing of it is, it, it's stupidity masquerading as enlightenment. And the, but, but before we like laugh at that, and certainly before we get super angry about that, and before we feel like, well, we're just being persecuted, isn't it terrible? Um, maybe we ought to see that as evidence that we're being disciplined, that we're being hedged in so that we will cry out to the Lord our God and get back on track with the mission he's given us. What else should we be learning? Well, we can learn from Jonah's experience that God's own may run away from his will, but they'll never outrun his love for them. Jonah cried out to his God. I'm so glad I got stuck on that. He knows God has not cast him off. He feels it, but he knows that faith is contrary to feeling. He knows his gross disobedience is not enough to cause God to turn his back on him, nor any of God's children. How does he know this? Because he's been preaching this message to Israel earlier in his career. He was running around saying to fellow Israelites, repent, turn to the Lord. We've backslidden. God will not forsake his people, but he's calling us to repentance. And God had promised to Israel that he would not forsake his chosen people. And he used even crummy kings, wicked, evil kings like Jeroboam II to keep his promises to Israel. Boy, what what proof do we need (laughs) that God does not hold grudges against his people? Aren't you glad for this? That God doesn't hold grudges against you. We hold grudges against one another all the time for the silliest things. God doesn't keep a grudge against his people. God doesn't concern himself with getting even from you, even with you. Do you realize that God got even with sin at the cross of Jesus? And, And so you'll never be punished for sin because of Christ. Not because of you. Disciplined, yes. Preserved with severe mercy, yeah. But not punished, not ever. Listen to Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And then Psalm 103, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. God loves you. And, and wonder of wonders about God's love is that he loves you in Christ despite your disobedience. Let's just consider one more lesson from the fish, and then we'll, we'll close for real. The fish is preparing Jonah for future usefulness. He needed to be taught that God's commands are not to be taken lightly. He needed to be reminded that you can't outrun the love of God for his own. And Jonah also needed to know that God's discipline awakens his people to their dependence upon him. Do you realize, friend, that that's what crying out to the Lord ultimately is? It's a cry of dependence, it's a cry of surrender. 
It's a cry of a little child running to father, knowing he'll be accepted, knowing she'll be welcomed. So let me just end with this. If you're AWOL in some area of your life, and, and the Holy Spirit has just seen to it that your conscience is telling you this right now, Maybe, maybe you're in some fish's belly and you're all closed in and, and unable to think straight. I want to encourage you that you're there as God's child not to be punished but to be preserved. Will you, will you not cry out to the Lord your God? And as you cry out to the Lord your God, rejoice that he hears you. And he's using this preserving mercy to be a preparing mercy. He's not done with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your tenderness toward your own. We thank you, Lord, that your love for us is an everlasting love. We thank you for reminding us of your love most fully expressed in our Savior, Jesus who took the punishment we deserve that we might be forgiven and preserved and prepared for usefulness to you. Lord, I pray if there is anyone among us that came to this place apart from you, I pray that by your spirit you would grant repentance and faith And Lord, if there are those among us who, regardless of what I've said, what what you have said, their conscience has heard, they are AWOL. Lord, I pray that you would give them that grace of crying out to you to be restored, to be set back on track, serving you. We ask this, Lord, not only for our own benefit, but that you might be glorified through your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.